Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to bless this time as we study your word, guide and lead us, and help us to see what you would have us to see. And thank you for this wonderful day in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 135, verse 1. Praise you, the Lord. Praise you, the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. You that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our Lord, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of men of beasts? Who sent tokens and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt, unto Pharaoh and upon all his servants? Who smote great nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdom of, of Canaan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an heritage unto Israel, his people? Your name, O Lord, endures forever, and your, and your memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the heathen are gold and silver, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them, so that everyone, so is everyone that trusts in them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi, you that fear the Lord. Bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwells at Jerusalem. Praise you, the Lord. So here we are with uh, this psalm all about praising God. And first off, we want to look at the word praise in and of itself is to boast. You know, when we say praise God, we're really saying that we're boasting in him. And, and we want to think about this boasting in him. Psalm starts out with a triple praise. Praise you, the Lord. Praise you, the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. And we've talked about this many times where you see a triple salutation or a triple statement. We, God is wanting to draw attention to, to it. And here he's, you know, praise the name of the Lord, all of his reputation. And then it says, praise him, you servants of the Lord. And, you know, this is what God wants us to do as his servants. Praise him. Give him praise. Boast in him. And in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about this idea of, do you remember how, when you got saved, how God changed your life in any way? Even at 10 years old, I remember God changing my life. Not completely, not 100%, but there were things in my life that were changed and, you know, we think about this, Paul's testimony. Every time he tells people about his testimony, the Apostle Paul, right? You know, I was persecuting the church. I was riding along, and all of a sudden this light knocked me off my horse, and I heard this voice from heaven, and it gave him his instructions. Peter, his testimony was, I'm out fishing, and Jesus calls me to be a fisher of men. All these people had a call from God. Jacob, you know, Laying down at night and sees a, and wrestles with the angel and sees the Lord, you know, and he had more than one, but he had these dramatic changes in his life. And especially when he wrestled with God, he had a great change in his life that changed him from being a manipulator and a cheater 
to being someone who wanted to follow God. Abraham even had this thing, you know, leave your, leave your family and go follow me. You know, what is there in our life that says you're changed, that we can make our boast in him on? And this is something that's very important because this is what God says. What is your boast in him? Can, do we have things in our life that we say, God, you did these things in my life? And this is one of the things I share with us. We need to, whether it's in a book or whatever, keep track of the things that God has done in our life. That when we go through hard times, we go, yes, God, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. You read the biographies of these different individuals and that are, do great things for God, and you see that moment of change in their life where God really gets hold of their life. Uh, George Mueller, you know, a cheater, a gambler, a manipulator of people finally gets saved and he changes instantly from being that into somebody who wants to try to follow God. We see even in, in Booth who created the Salvation Army, there was that point where he had this huge change in his life that just drew him into God's uh, realm. And God wants that from us. He wants us to be able to say, this is where I had my experience with God in such a way that God changed from just being a theory or a thought in my life to an actual presence in my life who was in control of my life. And this is something that's very important. He says, you that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In this case, David is pointing to those priests whose job it was to stand in the courts 24-7. Now, many people, most people did not go into the temple in the middle of the night. If anybody, I don't know if anybody went in the temple in the middle of the night. And at this time, it's just the tabernacle. But David has singers in there 24-7 before God singing praises. Why? Because worship is for God. Contrary to what most Christians in the church believe, worship is not for us. Worship is for God. And we're, all of our worship should be focused to him. And so many times people go, well, that's just not the type of worship I like. I don't like that song. I don't like that music. I don't like this. I don't like that. Well, none of the worship is for you anyway. It's David understood that. He had worshipers in the middle of the night when nobody was in the tabernacle worshiping God, singing praises to God. And that's kind of an amazing thought. And here he says, you that stand in the house of the Lord, the courts of the house of God. There were people assigned to just sing. It was expensive. You didn't stay up every night under, with candlelights the way we do nowadays with fluorescent lights. The sun went down, you went to bed. The sun came up, you got up. And David had people in the tabernacle singing 24 hours a day. Verse 3, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. And this is something that has been really on my mind. The Lord is good. You know, this is a sentence that's been used for a long time. God is good all the time. All the time God is good, and then God, all the time God is good. You know, and here... It says, praise him, for the Lord is good. God has good plans for us. He has good place for us. And it says, sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. His name is pleasant, and God is good. You know, and we need to always keep this in mind. No matter how we feel about what we're going through, God is good, and he has a plan. And 
oftentimes we don't always understand what his plan is. We don't always understand how it can even be for good. But we go back to scriptures and say, God, you are good. You promise that all things will work together for good. Job, in the middle of his trial, did not think everything was good. Okay? He'd lost his family. He'd lost all of his wealth. He had lost his health. And there was no way in the middle of that that he was thinking, oh, God, you are so good and you are so wonderful. I am just so happy that you put me through all of this. And even we, knowing the scriptures and knowing that all things work together for good, probably weren't going to be saying in the middle of that, God, I really understand why you're good. You might be doing more of my statement, God, I really don't understand any of this. I just know that you made a promise it's good, but God, why? And there is a place where we can say why, as long as we're not doubting him. Don't expect him to always answer, because God is not always going to tell us why. God does not expect us to understand why. He'll give us the peace, he just won't necessarily make us understand why. Where does our peace come from? We get into his word and say, God, you're always good. You're always, you're going to work everything together for good and you are sovereign. And the more you believe that, the more you can accept all the things when it looks like God lost control of everything and, and your life is totally in a mess. And you can say, God, I don't understand it, but you're still sovereign. You're still in control. And there's times when we're not going to understand what's going on. There's times when we're going to be struggling with God and we're going to be fighting with God and he's going to say, Stop, stop fighting, stop struggling, and let me be God. And, you know, he's really good at, you know, how many times have you been in the middle of a problem and say, God, I'm surrendering, I quit, and then 10 minutes later, mm-hmm. you've taken the problem back to yourself to try to figure out how to solve it. And God didn't work in that 10 minutes because he knew you weren't done. Sometimes he has to wait for that year, two years, three years, decade, whatever it might be, for you to finally say, God, I really do give up, God. You, do, you solve this problem. And so many times I hear people going, well, I've given it all to God, but I still can't figure out how to get out of it. You know, contradiction in terms, right in that sentence. I've given it to God, but I can't figure it out. Well, then you didn't give it to God. You're still trying to figure it out. We've got to be able to say, God, I surrender to your will. I'm giving up trying to figure out the problem. And it's an amazing thing how so often when you finally give up, God gives you the answer, and it's like, oh, wow, that was an easy answer. And you walk right out of the problem with no real problem at all. And for a long time before that, or a short time before that, or a period before that, you were struggling and fighting and and a total depression out of it. And it says, God is good. Praise his name, for it is pleasant. You know, and then we got a lot of songs that talk about, you know, name above all names, you know, you know, Jesus, you're, how wonderful your name is, and, you know, all these songs about how pleasant God's name is, because that's what God says to do. Sing praises to his name. Yes, sir. Human nature. It's nothing to do with, with uh, God at all. It's just, God, this is what's happened. Or not even God, but... This is what's happened. All these bad things are happening. I'm so used to it. I'm just expected to happen. If I think I have to handle everything in my life, then it is just going to be a series of bad experiences because that's what the flesh will produce. When I get to the place where I realize that everything is in God's plan, and when I do have bad things, God's trying to teach me something, rather than the bad thing being the result of my bad behaviors or bad choices or just the way life is, 
then I have a totally different attitude about what comes my way. Uh, I've had several people go, don't you re recognize all the bad stuff that's happened in your life? And I tell them, actually, no, I don't. I really don't. I don't think that my life has been bad. I just, God has put me in places to teach me things. He's put me in places to allow me to grow. And sometimes that growth hurts. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at each of these things that he puts me through is a growth cycle. And I'm looking to learn what it is that he's asking me to learn. During that six years that I was really struggling, I didn't learn my lessons. I kept repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And making the same wrong, you know, making ultimately the same wrong decisions. My absolute belief in the supremacy of God and his sovereignty of God is that nothing can happen in my life that God does not allow. Just because you trust God doesn't mean that's not going to happen. No, doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. It means that he has a reason for everything that happens in my life. And because I have an absolute belief that he has a reason for it, I don't look negatively on the, what would normally be looked at as a bad thing in life because God has a reason for it. My job would be, God, what is your reason? What are you trying to teach me through all of this? Usually that's exactly why we don't hear his word. God, you're, I, I'm just not going to do whatever it is you told me because this is what I'm going to do, so I will not hear his voice. God does open doors, but Satan can open doors as well. I've walked through many open doors that weren't God's open doors. The point that we must get into is, I, I know God so well that I'm listening to his voice. I can't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha, but you know, he's, God shows up, you know, gives him a thunder, and he says, and hear God's voice. He shows up in the fire, and he doesn't hear God's voice, and he says, I speak in a still, small voice. God speaks in a very quiet way. And if we're so busy trying to figure out our way of doing things, our way that we're going to do things, and get so busy, we're not going to hear the still, small voice. And we've all been there where we didn't hear the still, small voice and made the wrong decision. But we need to be able to invite him in and say, God, I just want you to be able to speak to me. I want to help me to listen. And I tell you, I can get that way real easy. I can get that way where I just get so busy doing things and doing things and doing things that I make wrong decisions because I go do things that I think are the right answer, but I'm not listening for his still small voice. And this is the problem we have as Christians. So this is what Tozier is saying. We don't hear God's voice because we've already decided what we're going to do. We already know what we're going to do, so it really doesn't matter what God tells us to do because we're going to go do what we want to do. Uh, we're going to hit that road where, and this is what a lot of people do, life gets tough, run. Run someplace else, and I've done a little bit of that. My dad's done a lot of that. My grandfather did a whole lot of that. Well, I've had times when it felt like I had no other decision, other decision but to run, and I don't know that it was a good those decisions usually were not good. Jacob ran from his problems. Well, granted, his brother was going to kill him, but his mom told him to run, but he ran from his problems and ran into more problems. He ran from those problems and then was trying to start fixing those problems before God finally got hold of him. It is a tough thing to hear God's voice. It's a tough thing to look at your life and say, 
nothing is going to work right. Let's look at George Mueller. George Mueller was at a place where everything was going against him. He'd, he'd used up everybody. Everybody was looking against him. He finally got saved thinking that was going to fix all of his problems, and it didn't fix his problems. Just getting saved didn't fix his problems. You know, but he did go to God and say, God, I don't know how to get out of this. I need your help. And the next thing you know, he's provided with money for school. Now he had to work to get it, but he was provided for money for school, given room and board and, you know, for it. You know, and it just a long series of every time he thought he was in a corner that he couldn't get out of, God would step in. God steps in when we look to him during those problems when we say, God, I'm in a corner I can't get out of. God, I just don't know how I'm going to get out of this. We go before him, and he will show us. He will give us the opportunities. He will put them in our path and somewhat open doors, sometimes just put the right things in the right place. But he just says, this is what it is. The question is, are we willing to step out and take advantage when he opens those doors, or are we going to go, God, this isn't the way I wanted the door opened? Too often, our answer to God is, God, this isn't the way I wanted this problem fixed. I didn't, I didn't want to work this hard to get my pay. I wanted to you know, do this. I wanted you to just drop the money in my lap or whatever it might be. And God says, no, this is what I want you to do. And as you're working for this person, you're going to have an opportunity to share Christ with these people. And you're going to do this, and this is going to happen. And you're going to do this, and this is going to happen. And we're looking at it saying, well, gee, God, that's a lot harder work than I want to do. Or that's a lot more than I wanted to do. We go back to Tozer's statement of, you know, we don't, do, we, don't listen, we don't hear God's voice because we never really planned on doing what he said to do anyway. And God's not going to waste his time telling us if we're not planning to do you know, what he wants us. Uh, and then we feel really lonely because God's not talking to us, or we at least feel that he's not talking to us, but he already knows we're not going to pay attention to him anyway. You know, sometimes you feel that way as a boss or as, even as a parent. Your kid has ignored you often enough, long enough, that you stop talking to them. Because there's no use wasting your breath talking to them. A lot of times, if it's, if, the only time I'm going to tell you that God said something to me is if it's something I didn't want to do in the first place. Right. Because that's, you know, and I know that it's good. Then I'll be able to say, God told me. If it's something I wanted to do, I'd probably just convince myself that that's what, that, that I heard God's voice. And it may or may not have been his voice, but I have a lot harder time accepting it as his voice when it's something I wanted to do. All right, verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. And I love this. You know, it, he has chosen Jacob and Israel. And peculiar means valued treasure. Okay, when you read the word peculiar in the King James, it means valuable. It doesn't mean strange, <laughs> as it does in our day and age. Peculiar in the King James means valued, not strange. Okay, and today we say something's peculiar or it's odd or strange. In King James days, it meant it was valued. And God has chosen Israel as his valued possession. He chooses us as his Christians as to be his valued possession. Why? Who knows, but he does. He sees great value in us. And so much value that he sent Jesus to die for us. And that's hard to imagine. You know, I don't understand that. I don't understand why he picks us, but he does. Verse 6, 
whatsoever the Lord pleased that he did in the heaven and earth and in sea and in all the deep places. God, and this is something we must understand always as we talked about some of these issues. God does what pleases him and because he is good, it'll be good for us, but he does what pleases him. And we need to keep this in mind. What pleases God? Grace, redemption, uh, those type of things are what pleases God. And we need to be able to give grace to other people and, and watch how God works in their life. Because God is looking to redeem people. And he says, he does what pleases him, both in heaven, in earth, in the seas, and in the deep places. There's not many places else that you could go to. Basically, he's saying, wherever God is, he does what he wants. Whatever he pleases him, he does. And then he goes into some examples. He causes vapors to ascend to the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasury. So he starts talking about nature, how the God controls nature. And, you know, we look at this in our day and age, and we, you know, in our scientific nature ideas that, okay, yeah, we know how it forms these storms, and we think we do anyway. And then we get these storms that just are crazy storms that don't fit the patterns that we're talking about. We look at history, how storms would come up and blow ships off their, off their stations just in time for the enemy, you know, for God's will to be accomplished. And you know, we see storms in the, in the American history that all of a sudden give us victory that was unexpected and it was God's hand involved with it. God is in control of the very nature. And then he says, who smote the firstborn of Egypt, of men and beast? Who sent tokens and wonders in the midst of you, O Egypt, unto Pharaoh and upon all of his servants? Okay, so he goes back into Passover. He goes back into the ten plagues and says, you know, you think you've got this all under control? God is able to control everything. And we think about this. The ten plagues in and of themselves were a massive battle. And we talked about this. The, plague, the ten plagues was a battle of the gods in essence. God says, you Egyptians believe in this God and this God. Let me do something that puts them in their place. I'm going to create frogs. You worship the frog God who has control of the frogs. I'm going to give you more frogs than you know what to do with. Why would anyone worship a frog? Who knows, but they did. You know, you want to you worship Ra, the sun god? I'm going to give you darkness for three days. You worship the Nile? I'm going to turn the Nile to blood. You know, you worship this and that and the other thing? I'm going to show you that I have control over all the gods that you worship. And that's what that was all about. Not only was he showing it to the Egyptians, though, but remember, the Jewish people had been there, or the Hebrew people at that time, had been in Egypt for three generations. They were infected as well by all these traditions because they did not have the word of God. They had traditions. They had the stories. And they're affected by these idols. And God's saying, you think these idols that are around you are powerful? Let me show you how unpowerful they are. And he's showing his people, don't worship these gods. I have power over all the gods that you want to worship. And what's the first thing they do at Mount Sinai? They make a golden calf and worship a golden calf that had already been judged in Egypt. And, uh, you know, and then he goes on, who smote nations and mighty kings? Okay, God says, I've, you wandered the wilderness, I smote, the, I smote these nations. I put them in their place. 
And then he goes with the specific names that you might remember if you've been here on Wednesday night studies. I study, I, I smote Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And then he says, and all the kingdoms of the Canaanites. And these were powerful kings of the day. First off, he destroys Egypt. Egypt was a mighty empire when God crushed them and brought them to nothing. And it's one of the dynasty change, changes when God destroys the army of Egypt and the Red Sea. Then he destroys the Amorites and Bashan and all the Canaanites. And he says, I'm going to give you victory. I destroyed these kings. It wasn't you, Israel, that went in and destroyed these people with your mighty hands. You didn't go in and win these victories without my help. You didn't defeat the chariots of Canaan with no chariots without my help. You did not take down the walls of Jericho without my help. You did not take down all these other cities without my help. And he's re reiterating to them over and over again, God, especially in the Psalms and everywhere else, he reiterates, this is what I have done for you. We see Moses doing it in Deuteronomy, saying this is what God has done for us. We see Joshua in the book of Joshua reiterating to them, this is what God has done for us. The Psalms, over and over, we've seen these histories of this is what God's done for you. Do you get the idea that God wants us to remember what he's done for us in our lifetime? He wants us to remember. This is why you're where you're at. And if you have generations of godly folks, he'll say, this is what you did. This is what I did for you. This is what I did for your father. This is what I did for your grandfather. This is what I did for your great-grandfather. You know, this is what I did for your country. We need to remember the things God did for our country to found this country on such strong principles that were godly principles. And the farther we walk away from God, the worse off we're going to be. Just as Israel was, the further they walked away from God, the more judgment they saw. And we're seeing it in our country. The further we get from God's standards, the more judgment we're seeing in this country. The further we get into idolatry worship and, and worshiping other things other than God, the more we see evil taking over this country. And it's something so important for us to understand. God wants to bless us. Why? Because we're his children. We are his children. He wants to bless us. Too many Christians have this mentality. God, I don't deserve blessings, so I know you're not going to bless me. And as soon as you take that attitude, even when God blesses you, you won't recognize it as a blessing because you're going to go, well, I know I don't deserve it, so this is just temporary, and God's got something bad in store for me. This is the false teaching that we have picked up in our brains. God, you just don't want to bless me because I don't deserve it. And God's saying, I died for you. You don't think I want to bless you? The prodigal son comes back, and the first thing he does is get, says, dress him up, put the ring on his finger, put good clothes on him, and let's have a party. My son who was dead is alive. If he had the attitude that most people think that God has, he goes, you're right, son. You don't deserve me, my son. Go, go into the, the back bedroom of the, of the workers. You, you're in the shack until you prove that you're able to work. That's the attitude the son expected. That's the attitude most Christians expect God to say. Okay, you can go into the shed, and when you, when you prove that you're good enough to be my child, I'll, I'll give you blessings. God is not that type of person, or God. <laughs> he wants to bless. When we repent, he says, 
praise God, here you go. I have a blessing for you. I'm putting the ring on your hand, and the ring showed the, the power of the family because they would have the crest. I am going to clothe you with beautiful clothes. And by the way, we are going to have a feast because you're back alive. And that's the way God greets his prodigal children. His prodigal children are greeted with just that attitude. Thank you, you've come back. You've repented. No, I'm not going to make you the slave. No, I'm not going to make you a servant. You are my child. I'm going to wrap you up in the garments. And I'm going to give you the ring. I'm going to give you the blessings of the family. That's the God we serve. His grace and his mercy are phenomenal and more deep than anything we can ever imagine in our life. And we've got to start understanding God's grace and his mercy. God has a wonderful plan for us. He's good, wants to bless us, even when we don't deserve it because we never deserve it. This is what we've got to come to the mentality of. I never, ever deserve any good from God because I am fleshly and wicked. The only reason I get anything good from God is because Jesus Christ died for me. He has clothed me with his righteousness. He has put the ring on my finger and he says, this is my child. And that is why anything good happens to us because of his mercy and his grace and the sacrifice of Jesus. And this is what we've got to keep in mind uh, during all of this time. Verse 12 says, he gave their land for an inheritance for a heritage, a heritage unto Israel, his people. God gave Israel. Why? Why did God give Israel all this land? Because they were so good in, in following him? No, they were wicked and evil and rebelled against him every turn they, turn that they had all through the 40 years of wandering. You know, if they could gripe about something, they did. Even when it was time to come in, they were not really ready to come in because they still were thinking it's, you know, not, not going to happen. They did not obey God even in taking the land. They did never took all the land. They subjugated a lot of the people in, rather than killing them all, which then gave them problems later on. God did not give them the land because they were such good examples of following him. He gave them because he promised Abraham he, he would. And to keep his word, he gave them their inheritance. Why does God do good things for us? Because he promised Jesus, you die for them and I'm, going to, and, and I'm going to take care of your bride. I'm going to take care of your bride and, and make them ready and wash them and make them clean for you. So we want to keep this in mind. Verse 13, your name, O Lord, endures forever and your memorial, Lord, throughout all generations. And again, this is that idea. What has he done? It remains. It, it is memorial. We need to mark off what God has done for us. We need to mark off what he's done for others. We need to mark down what he's done for, for those in the Bible and believe that our God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's blessed Israel. He blessed all the various characters of the Bible, not for their own goodness. Even somebody like Daniel was not blessed for his own goodness. He was blessed because of his trust in God. And God blessed him in mighty ways. Jacob was not blessed because he was the paragon of, 
of all righteous activities. You know, he was pretty arrogant, telling his brothers that they're going to bow down before him, telling his father, you're going to, by the way, Dad, you're, you and Mom are going to bow down to me too. You know, yes, he had a dream. Yes, it was a true statement. But, you know, I do not believe that he wasn't being very arrogant when he was telling his brothers, ah, yeah, you guys are going to bow down before me. Listen to this dream. God had to humble him and put him in his place. Oftentimes God humbles us and puts us in our place, but he still has a great plan for us. And it, his name is going to endure forever. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 14, For the Lord will judge his people, and he will repent himself concerning his servants. God has compassion for us. This repent was more compassion. You know, God will take care of his children. He will punish his children if that's what they need. He will correct us. And if we keep making wrong decisions, he'll keep correcting us. And in our flesh, we can get to the point where it looks like he's always correcting us, and he might be. The, the rebellious child who's always being corrected is a, a burden to even the parent. You know, uh, son, daughter, don't you think I'm a little tired of, of correcting you and beating you? Oh, yeah, sure you are. That's why you're doing it all the time. You know, they never recognize that they deserve what it is, and they don't recognize that the parent is tired of doing it. I could just picture God being so tired sometimes of correcting us. When are you going to learn your lesson? When are you going to correct your behavior? Just as we do with rebellious children. When, you know, uh, when are you going to get tired of all these spankings? When are you going to be tired of all these restrictions? When are you going to be tired of missing so many events? God does the same thing with his children. You know, when, are you going to, when is enough enough for you? Then he goes into talking about idols, and this is kind of interesting. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are likened to them, so is everyone that trusts in them. Here is where God talks about idols as he does so many times. You're making these things that have ears that can't hear, that have eyes that can't see, Mouths that don't speak, you know. And I think about when the altar of God, when the uh, mercy seat was in the temple of Dagon. <laughs> now that story to me is so wonderful. You know, the altar, the, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant's in the temple of Dagon, and, and they come in the next morning, and Dagon's on his face in front of the altar. So they pick up Dagon. This isn't enough for them to understand that there's something going on here. They pick up Dagon, nail him back into place, put ropes around him so he won't fall down again. And the next morning, they find him on his face broken in pieces. You know, uh, God's saying, you know, you've got this Dagon, this fish and everything with the face and everything. The statue. The God of Dagon. The God of Dagon. The statue of Dagon. You know, Fish, fish head and eyes and ears and everything can't hear. And God says, you make these things and they, and they have nothing. You've got the God who's living. You may not be able to see me, but you've got the God who's living. And it says on verse 18, they that make them are like them. One of the things about worshiping, whatever it is you worship, you become like what you worship. Huh? Well, whatever you worship. Okay, most of the gods were gods of power and fertility and stuff. 
and you become like those gods. You, be, you become, if it's on a fertility god or goddess, you became lascivious and, and desirous of adulterous affairs and, and fornication. If it was a power, you would do anything it takes to get power because that's what you worshiped. Uh, for, and we said this morning, how many of us are worshiping at violence anymore through all the TV and entertainment we have? And then we wonder why we're violent. We, we watch all these shows where people lie all the time, and then we wonder why we tell lies. We, you know, all these bad things that are presented to us, and we become like what we worship. And this is something that is very strong through the scriptures. We become like what we worship. And this is why it's so important for us to worship the God of heaven and earth, because when we worship him, we become like him more loving, more kind, more grace-oriented, grace more merciful, because we become like him. If you want to worship whatever idol it is you worship, you'll become like that idol that you're worshiping. And we have plenty of idols in our day and age. We just don't have great big gold, gold, block, uh, gold uh, idols and blocks of wood and, and, and stone that we idol worship. But we have plenty of things we idolize that take the place of God and we put for in first place. And this is what God is saying in this, you know, they don't, they don't hear, they don't see, and yet you're worshiping them. He goes, you're going to become like them. And, you, you know, and then he says, so is everyone that trusts in them. You guys, and not only that, but when you make your idol, you make it like what it is you really want to do. The people built these fertility gods and goddesses because they wanted sex to be glorified. And so they made these gods that how did you worship them? Through sex. How did you worship the gods of power and everything? You offered them your businesses that you took forever to build up and did everything you could. There was all these gods and goddesses that represented and you worshiped them by participating in whatever it was that they represented. And here he says, you're going to be like what you trust in. Then verse 19, bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You that fear the Lord, bless him. Bless the Lord out of Zion, which dwells at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Goes down this long list of people to praise him. And look at the people he picks. Pray, bless the Lord, O house of Israel. All of Israel. And at the time David's writing this, that's the entire nation. Okay. Israel later on is going to represent only the northern kingdom, but at the time this is being written, it's, okay, nation, bless God. Nation, bless God. He is your, he is your, your and if that's not enough, uh, all you priests, you, those of you of Aaron, you priest, bless God. Now this would be something you would hope that the priest did not need to be told to, pr to bless God, but you know what? Many of them did not follow God very strongly. They weren't all that great many times. And he goes, and bless the Lord, O house of Levi. All of you that work in the house of Israel of the Lord, bless him. And again, that should have been a no-brainer. You know, you're working in the house of God, you should be worshiping God. But you know, again, it's not like our day where we choose to be servants of God and pastors and whatever else in the church. And that day you were born into your position. And some of them didn't want to be there. And then you that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. That should be just in just about everybody else. Honor God, fear God. 
Bless the Lord out of Zion, which is Jerusalem, which dwells in Jerusalem. Praise you, the Lord. God is just emphasizing over and over again. Praise him. Lift him up. Follow him. All right. We're going to end here because it's only 10 minutes. We're not going to get into the next uh, psalm. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We ask you to help us to learn to praise you in all things. Help us to learn to be dependent upon you in all aspects of our lives. Help us to understand that you are good and that you are sovereign in all aspects of our lives. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.